We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I would be grateful. Uh, I hope you enjoy the show. For the best audio quality, we recorded straight from the mics. It's a little bit quiet after me, so you might have to turn the next bit up. Cheers. So, please, a massive round of applause for Keith Downey of Sky Sports. Okay. Straight in there for Keith. Craig Hope of the Daily Mail. And super sub tonight, Kieran Kelly of The Chronicle. Alex, Alex Hurst is also here of True Faith. Good evening. First of all, just to echo what the guys have said, thanks so much for coming tonight. We've raised nearly £3,000 just from your tickets alone. So that's massive. So well done, all of you. It's going to do an awful lot of good. We've done three of these events before. I don't know how many of you were here. Um, not as positive, those events, as I feel tonight is going to be. The 7th of October, 2021. That's a date that will be etched on a T-shirt from True Faith, available to buy soon. Um, so what we're going to do is chat to our esteemed guests here, get their thoughts on all things TakeOver. Basically, part one is going to be TakeOver tonight. Part two is the future. So, Keith, I'm going to start with you as you're immediately on my left. That week of the takeover, I think everyone in here, or most people in here, would have seen your face <laughs> more than anyone else in their family, <laughs> more than their friends, their children. Uh, Sky Sports News on constantly in homes across the nation. <laughs> How was it for you, mate? Do you want to tell the audience like, a few words about your experience living that live for us? Yeah, well, first of all, um, I can't believe it was six weeks ago tonight. No. Six weeks ago tonight, that has gone past like a flash. It really has. Um, just, <laughs> just to give you an idea of what, what it was like and how much I was on, about a week after, or three or four days after the takeover happened, I went down to do a Middlesbrough match, having been doing lives all day, and I had a post-match interview with Neil Warnock, um, and he said to me, fucking hell, son, you've been on the TV more than a Prime Minister this week. <laughs> which which kind of like summed up exactly what it was. I was playing golf on the Wednesday, the day before it happened, on the 6th out at Whitburn, um, and I was about halfway around when the, the story came out. I think it was from Martin Ziegler. Is he the, is he the Times, yeah? Yeah. Or the tel yeah? The story came out from him to say that the issue had been resolved regarding the, the, the TV rights, and um, instantly I thought, here we go. And the reason I thought that was because around four or five weeks earlier, um, and not, a lot of people won't know this because we're obviously trying to keep it quiet, but I was actually doing an investigation behind the scenes into why the takeover hadn't been pushed through. 
And part of that investigation um, included, hopefully, an interview with Mike Ashley to give his, uh, his thoughts as to where they were at. And the, the noises that came back from him and uh, his people were that, hold fire just now, something might be in the offing, but just keep your powder dry for like four or five weeks. Um, initially, they said, I think it was the 26th of September, and I, I didn't know whether that meant the takeover was going to happen or whether there was going to be some kind of movement or whatever, but I was just told to keep quiet. So when I was playing golf that day and I saw that news come out, I thought, right, here we go. Um, the last nine holes kind of went past in a bit of a blur. I think I actually left two holes early. My mate was like, you're not even talking to me here because I kind of <laughs> knew something was happening. In fact, two old guys were, were behind us and it was such a log jam, they asked to play with us. Um, <laughs> one was a Sundown fan, uh, one was a Newcastle fan and they were just peppering me with questions the whole way around. And I got to the last three, four holes, I said, guys, hang on, I can't even, I can't concentrate with the amount of questions you'd ask. And this wasn't even about the takeover, this was just general stuff to do with, uh, to do with Newcastle and Sundown. Um, left, got home, received a call to say, um, get yourself to the Jessamine Dean Hotel. Um, the consortium are there, um, and they've been there since since this morning. And I was like, right, okay. So I got there. must have been about, I think, half three, four o'clock. Um, and they said, we're hoping to announce a takeover tonight at six o'clock. Bearing in mind, I'm on a day off, been playing golf, like just got myself back, hadn't had a shower or anything. I thought, oh, my God. was." And everyone's always said for years, you'll know when the takeover's happening when you hear nothing about it and then bang, it hits you. And it felt very much like that. So I got there to the Jesmond Dean Hotel. There was nobody anywhere. It was like, like death zone, nobody around anywhere. I thought, surely, is this a wind up? Is this actually happening? <laughs> and they said, look, it's gonna happen. And then Amanda Stavely and our people were there. And um, a couple of them came out and had a chat and said, look, we're hoping this is gonna be ratified and pushed through at six o'clock tonight. And I was like, wow, like, I wasn't expecting this today. So, um, so six o'clock came and went, seven o'clock came, came and went, eight o'clock came and went, um, and it was annoying because I obviously knew it was about to happen and a lot of the newspaper guys were, were reporting that it was further ahead than what, what I was saying, but I just had to kind of sit on it just due to the fact we've obviously got a little bit of a different relationship with the Premier League, due to the fact we're with our rights holding and our commercial partnership. So I'm sitting on all this information, not even able to report it. I managed to push them and push them and it got to about nine, 10 o'clock at night and we obviously said, look, we think it's close. It could be done tomorrow. Moved it on in the morning to say it is going to get done today. Initially, it was meant to be 10 o'clock. Then it got pushed back to 11. And it was just like a waiting game. But in many ways, I actually think it helped the story because it built it up throughout the day to like a crescendo. And then when it went through it, like what time was it? Maybe quarter past five, just after five o'clock. By the time it went through at that time in the, in the evening, I think everyone was kind of so excited. We had a perfect audience. Everyone was getting home from, from work, getting home from office to see us, us reporting on it. And it was just, um, it was just, it, honestly, it was an amazing day. And I, I've, been, I've been working in broadcasting now for um, 15, 16 years, and I've never known a day like that. It was, it was honestly amazing to be part of, um, purely for the fact that I knew that what I was saying meant so much to so many other people. Um, and I think that's probably why I got a little bit sort of emotional on the day, because I, I, I was aware what was about to happen. I've been looking at the statement for the best part of an hour. So I've been given it about an hour before to say it had gone through. And I'm like sitting with it and on a WhatsApp message on my phone, like I read over about four or five times. And I'd kind of built up the emotions inside me knowing that what I was about to say meant so much to so many other people. And then I got a text to say, go, you, c you can report it now. So I was waiting for the, the go ahead. And then we got, I think five minutes grace before it got, before it went out elsewhere. So, um, so I think that's why I kind of felt the, the emotional side of it because I, I was aware of it. I'd kind of already dealt with it in my own mind. 
and then and then we obviously we we announced essentially announced the takeover and then and then all hell broke loose afterwards <laughs> um it was it was honestly an amazing day i mean i think i said to a couple of the, the fan sites that i spoke to later on that day that i worked at rangers when they got to the UEFA cup final under under Walter Smith and it was like an amazing day that uh, the semi-final against Fiorentina when they got through I covered Rangers going into administration and then liquidation which was a massive story in Scotland like the biggest story in Scotland in 25 years but I have to say covering the takeover that day eclipsed all of that it, it really did and because I, I know how much it means to a, a fan base a city and so many people and I think since then and we were, we were chatting beforehand myself and a couple of other panelists and we're just saying like the amount of people who just kind of keep coming up and saying thank you so much thank you and I'm like you do know I didn't buy the football club like, <laughs> like you do yeah no but you said that you said it was happening and thanks for being so respectful and I'm like respectful like you've been slaughtering me for the last eight years <laughs> but um yeah it's been it, honestly it's been it's been quite overwhelming it was it was an amazing amazing day it was an amazing week and then obviously what, what then went on with uh, Steve Bruce and then, Ed, and then Eddie Howe. It's been it's been an amazing six weeks and it's just gone by in, a, in an absolute flash. And it was for me, it was a privilege to be to be part of that. Keith, there are more questions, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, just sort of picking up on that, we were we were talking there before, and we can't believe it's six weeks ago tonight that it, it actually happened. And what's the time? I mean, it's twenty past seven now. Six weeks ago tonight, at this exact moment in time. I was in Amanda Stavely's bedroom. Uh, yeah. he's, he's not been back since. Yeah. <laughs> Having my ban lifted. Uh, but, but no, that, that, that's true. And it's, it's, it was just, you know, what was it like to cover the takeover? Well, you probably feel this as fans as well. For, for two years, it was horrific. It really was. But for two days, it was fucking wonderful. It really was. It was Jesmond Dean House was the, was the centre of the universe. Yeah. And I had a similar story to Keith really in that on the Wednesday uh, I got a tip off that they were in Jasmine Dean House. Uh, so I went down later than later than Keith was there uh, and I went down, I'd, I'd been walking the dog and I went down dressed in just me sort of dog walking gear. I thought this was a, an off chance, I didn't know for certain they were there. Uh, to my horror I realised they were and they were inviting me in. Uh, dressed like uh, as I was, went in with them uh, and they said listen you know we're not here, you're not here, we'll tell you what's going on. Uh, but you can't report it. But they were, they were they were very good with me, and to to realise in that moment, having listen, we thought it was going to happen based on information during the day, but then to be in Jesmondine House on that Wednesday night and in the company of, of certain people, a man and her husband were were in uh, were in the room next to us working on the last sort of few aspects of the deal to realise it was happening, and this journey we'd been on, which was torture at times, it really was to know it was coming to an end, was just a a wonderful feeling. I think. You guys as fans probably had a different feeling to us. Obviously, ultimately, it was one of relief and joy. But from a selfish perspective, I just realized that the most wonderful story in the world was about to, to land on my doorstep. And so, so that night, I, I stayed with them, had a, had a drink with them. Uh, you know, they said, don't release this because you know, we can't have supporters coming down here, which fans would have done if it was, if it was made public. They were in Jesmond Dean House. Uh, I kept on apologising for how I was dressed. Uh, you know, I had, a, I had a top with baby sick on the shoulder, uh, which didn't give the, the best first impression. So then they said you can come back tomorrow and, and work in Jesmondine House, and you know, as long as you play ball with us, we'll play ball with you. So then you remember Keith, but I came back the next day and I'm massively overcompensated with what I wore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like seriously, people have been to weddings dressed worse than uh, you know. But I looked like a member of staff at Jesmond Dean House. I looked, I looked like a waiter. We were stood outside at one point, 
And this lady, true story, we were stood there, this lady pulled up in a car, and she thought I was the valet service. <laughs> 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 so, so anyway, and then also, so dressed like a waiter, uh, and then, you know, it, it breaks, and I meet Amanda Stavely for the first time, and she orders a gin and tonic. Uh, and it's up into a room, and it's just, the, you know, to, to be there on, within that, that, that 24, 48-hour period and to know it was happening, to know that it was, it was world news, you know, this was, the, this was the biggest story in town. It, it really was incredible to be, to be part of. Uh, and we were sat there all day on the, on the Thursday, and I don't even remember, but there was at one point the word coming out of Newcastle was that the money hadn't been transferred. And we were sat there and we're thinking, no, like, sure, not, not again. Sh surely not. There was just this word coming out of the club that, they're just waiting for the money to land before this can go through. And we were sat there, and we were all eating and drinking on the, on the Saudi ticket as well, and I'd just, bought, <laughs> I, I'd just ordered a club sandwich. <laughs> I think I'd upgraded it to curly fries, and I was thinking, who, who's going to pay for this if this goes tits up? Uh, <laughs> th <laughs> th thankfully, it didn't. Uh, and like I say, when it dropped, it was... I was lucky enough to have a, an interview up, up in Amanda's bedroom with her, and we were told, you know, beforehand that she had a PR team around her. Amanda's going to, you know, the plan is just to, to, to keep emotions in check, to keep expectations in check, not to go over the top. Uh, our back page headline the next day was, we can compete with PSG in Manchester City. So <laughs> I think everyone got caught up in the emotion of it. Uh, but hey, listen, what a great story. And for good or bad, for better or worse, this is going to be, from our perspective, brilliant to cover and let's enjoy it. I think in many ways, uh, due to the fact it took so long to go through, it made it even better to cover when it did. After yeah. what had happened like last summer, last whenever it was, last April, last summer, I think after all of that, it actually made it even more enjoyable to cover and I'm sure even more enjoyable for, for you guys as, as supporters because you're waiting so long for that. But mm. I think because of that, we, all, we were also a little bit on edge because we were a bit worried that we'd been told certain things in the past that it was going to go through, there were no issues, and then there were issues. So, like, for me personally, until I actually saw that statement, you know, that had been sent through to me in a WhatsApp to say that the club has been sold, I didn't actually believe it. So that's why I was probably playing it down a little bit until then because I felt like the minute you build it up, get the supporters into a little bit of a frenzy, and then it doesn't happen, you get the wrath of that. And I just, I just didn't want that to happen again. Mm. Um, so I, th I think that kind of built it up. And then the fact it went through at like 20 past five when everyone was like at yeah. home, you know, ready for a couple of beers, that was, that, yeah. that's what made it. And we, and we, listen, they were very good with us. They were very open. They, they were giving us sort of updates on the hour, really, you know, as long yeah. as you sort of try and keep this quiet. And the idea was to sort of keep the location quiet then. Keith's cameraman turned up with a satellite dish, which I'd last seen on the balcony of Nelson Mandela yeah. House. It was unbelievable. I, <laughs> said, I actually, I actually uh, had to send him away because people kept turning up like, outside. So um, one of the other, uh, one of our sites, NUFC 360, the guy was DMing me saying, what's going on there? And I said, mate, just wh whatever you're doing, just go away because by you being here, you could actually ruin the takeover going through. And I'll get, and I'll get my satellite guy to go as well. So I actually sent him away and got someone else to come up. That was why I was doing lives throughout the day, which looked like I was in my back garden, but it was actually in the secret garden of Jasmine Dean House, purely for the fact that we're waiting on it going through. And then I was meant to speak to Amanda within like 15, 20 minutes of it going through. I got to the stage where I thought there's a bit of an atmosphere here at St. James's Park. Even if I missed the first interview or whatever it was with Amanda Stavely, I was like, I want to be at the stadium to break this at the stadium and I want to be that be there and see everything that's going on. So it must have been strange for you guys 
being at Jasmine Dean House where it was like, yeah, there was a lot of activity, but it was quiet. And then the minute I got back there to St. James's Park, saw the fact that there was hundreds of fans had arrived, I thought, God, this is actually real here. And then when I nipped back again to do the interview with Amanda Stavely and I told her and I said, look, there's hundreds of fans, probably thousands of fans at the stadium. She just couldn't believe that, mm. that it, it had got to that. That, that stage yeah she wanted to go down when we were in the room doing the interview she was asking the, the people who she was with could she could she go down to St James's but I think for security reasons they realised it wouldn't wouldn't have been wise <laughs> Kieran um, you've covered the, the club for a few years now I think what the guys have said which I already you know agree with and felt the same is just that sense of I can't believe this this is yeah. unbelievable that this is happening how, how was it for you mate and was there a were you having similar doubts, fears? Kind of what was you know what was your experience to take over, mate? Uh, the three words that came to mind was the uh, Bin Zayed group, and you know <laughs> just the worry that it would be. Um, sorry, <laughs> didn't want to fiddle. Um, I keep talking. Uh, <laughs> um, just you always have that fear at the back end with these takeovers. Um, I used to work in Manchester, covering Manchester United, and. You come across weird stories there, but this takeover saga has been just like nothing I've ever covered before. I think I've learned more about Gulf politics and geopolitics than you ever would read in a book. You know, it's just <laughs> no journalism degree or um, life covering a, a team and, and going to matches prepares you for that. So you never know what's coming next with this. And I think it said it all that really it, being sports settling a, a multi-million billion dollar dispute is what opened the door for this. This this takeover goes far beyond what's happening on Tyneside. So when it did happen, it was, it, it probably took about two weeks for it to settle in. Um, I think that's probably the same for a lot of the fans, although you probably still have hangovers from it, but uh, it, it was it was just crazy. And um, I think to see the, the relief um, of those scenes, we, we talked about St. James's, you know, it, you know in 50 years, they'll still be replaying those scenes. Um, it, was, it, was, it was like nothing you could have imagined we all imagine what that day was going to be like and uh just to to see it that day was 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 really special and i think for for us at the chronicle it's um it's it's been great you know I, i've only been here a couple of years to see what mike ashley did to the club you guys can tell me exactly what it did um but to actually see fans of hope again is, has been massive um you know i was, I was there at wolves uh, i think that was the last game before you guys were taken over and the understandable apathy kind of oh we lost the wolves you know it, it didn't even hurt it was just like well we, we lost the wolves it was, it was almost not expected but just that would become newcastle united and just to see the contrast now of yeah i know newcastle are 19th five points from safety but you can feel the mentality change you guys know that you know good times are coming uh one way or the other mistakes will be made but just to see that hope again and, and the club potentially realising its potential, it's, it's absolutely massive. So, um, yeah, it, it's a huge story. There's, there's obviously the human rights issues, which I'm sure we'll get on to, but um, just, just to see, sorry, a few groans there. To see the fans just uh, have hope again has been massive. No, brilliant. And that, that Wolves away game, trying not to be hyperbolic about these things, but that's one of my worst ever away games as a fan. Just felt nothing walking out the ground. The weather was terrible. They were shit. We were shit. But... You know, it was almost like the game didn't matter. It was it was horrible. Sort of within a week or ten days, have you know have this kind of immense feeling of pride again. Yeah. More than anything for me was amazing. And to ask you two guys, I was always going to ask you this question. I hope you don't mind me asking. I'm sure everyone in the room wants to know what is Amanda Stavely like. Can you tell us any, your perception of working with her, interviewing her? Give us some insight into what she's like. 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll say is um, she comes across as a very nice person. Um, and I know I know, I wrote that, I think, on Twitter, and I got a little bit of abuse from that when I said the owners are nice people. But like, what I meant by that is the How people... How dare you? Yeah. I mean, the people we're dealing with on the ground, like the people you're speaking to on a daily basis. Um, I think she has wanted... Well, we know she's wanted this for, for, for a long time. Um, she... She just comes... I mean, listen, it's going to be difficult because they've never been involved running a football team before. And I think that's why we've seen mistakes with uh, the Steve Bruce sacking. We've seen mistakes with the new manager appointment, i.e. Unai Emery. We thought that... They thought that was going to happen. And then, obviously, he's, he's changed his mind. I, I do think, as time goes on, they will they will probably ch change the amount they maybe tell people, the amount that they brief. Um, and I think they'll learn as they go. But I have to Let's say... Let's hope not. Well, I know. That, I know, and, I, and do you know what? We are journalists. Do you know what, Hopi? I hate saying that. I hate saying it because, you know, it's like Turkey's voting for Christmas. You know, it's really, mm. it's a really, it's a really difficult situation. But I do think that's what will happen. Um, or they'll maybe get a little bit more clever about everything. But all I can, all I can say is in the dealings that I've had with her on a, two or three occasions now, she's been a, a, a very polite and welcoming person. And I think it said everything that I was at the Newcastle United Foundation dinner last Tuesday. And she was 100% invested in the evening. Like there was some, some of these amazing stories up on stage of people who have saved their life by joining the foundation or, or going along and taking training um, classes and whatever. And she was, just, she was just immersed in it. She was just like involved, completely involved in the, uh, in the whole situation. And she was, she was loving that side of the club that she probably she was completely unaware of before. Um, so yeah, listen. I, I think I think I think she will do a good job. I think she wants to probably be quite hands-on at the moment in terms of bringing in managers, sporting directors, players, etc. I personally think they need to get someone in there to do that for her because it's something that she's not used to doing. And mistakes have been made. Mistakes will continue to be made. Um, but I think she's her heart is in the right place. Um, and I think she feels the love. Well, she definitely feels the love of the Newcastle United supporters, and and she wants to do to do her best. Um, you know where, how far that takes you. I don't know, but I, I do think I do think it all comes from a good place. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I've met her a couple of times now as well and spent time with her, and she is a, she is a good person. I think the one thing she deserves massive, enormous credit for is without her, this deal wouldn't have happened. She brought the Saudis to the table when she first appeared at St James's Park. What was it four four years ago? I think she probably didn't have the money behind her. It was almost that that very public appearance was strategic and it was almost a come on for people to come on board with her and invest. And it didn't, it didn't quite happen. And we saw Mike Ashley's statement in the January of, of 2018, which statement, it was, it was a briefing to the press, which was an effective statement. And it was brutal, it, it labeled her a time waster. And I think that, that really hurt her. And she took a, a lot of shit in the, in the wake of that. And when I, when I did the interview with her on that first day, we actually spoke about this. And, you know, I admitted that I was one of those person, one of those journalists, sorry, who, who followed that narrative because this is what we were getting from the club, that Amanda Stavey didn't have the money. And she was a time waster. But to go away and to then bring the richest football club owners in the world back to the table and to be tenacious enough to get a deal done, I think no matter what she does going forward in terms of her management of this football club, what she did to, to make that happen, she will always deserves enormous huge credit and will never ever be forgotten for that but listen going forward I think I think she's under a little bit of pressure bearing in mind she's got the in effect what is a, a management contract to run the club in the short term I think that's probably a, a strategic move from the Saudis and a, a wise move in some ways and uh, putting Amanda front and center to to begin with uh, 
but she does she does need help they've they've tried to do things themselves in terms of the removal of Steve Bruce which again we, we took a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of flack for that as journalists now no you did yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't don't tire the rest of us with that brush well, <laughs> well, what, what, what you've got to remember is if, 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 if there's three, four, five, how many journalists it was, reporting something with that level of conviction, you know, the, the, we're obviously getting the information from somewhere. We're, we're not, I'm sticking up for the fresh here. We're, we're not making it up. And this has happened a, a couple of times during the, during the early weeks of the takeover. You know, if, if you're in receipt of an information as a journalist, you're going to print it. You're not going to hesitate if that's coming from a, from a very good source. And the issue with Steve Bruce, you know, they did fully intend to, to get rid of him before the Spurs game. They knew what could happen on, on that Sunday against Spurs. They knew it risked ruining the unveil and the party. And, and it did. Ultimately, it did. Because what you had was the... You had this... And I said this to some of the, the Saudi comms guys afterwards. You had this wonderful vignette 10 minutes before kickoff and the first 10 minutes of the match of what the club could be, of what it potentially would be under their ownership. And you had 80 minutes showing you exactly where it was fucking happening to Steve Bruce, basically, which was, which was absolutely awful. Uh, you had players, you know scrapping in the in the tunnel afterwards as well and it was I thought that first day against Spurs was actually quite a, a real deflating day it was quite I walked down into town afterwards and the place was flat and it it wasn't very enjoyable but in in many ways it was perfect for the ownership to sort to, to show them exactly what they were inheriting and they knew they had to get rid of Steve Bruce before that game they didn't once it played out as it did the the wheels were put in motion very quickly but to, to go back to the original question she's a good person <laughs> she wants the best but I think she, she probably does need help in terms of that level of football expertise at executive level. Great answer. Uh, Kieran, uh, I'll, I'll give you my opinion. don't know if people in the room agree. Amanda Staverley in particular and the whole ownership group have come in for nothing but criticism from the wider press, not from you guys, but from your colleagues across the country. Some of that you could argue is about human rights, but there's been, suggest you know, I'll give you one quote from a, a journalist um, you know, these guys think they're playing football manager, stuff like that. And that doesn't get said about Daniel Levy when he speaks to eight managers in the summer, picks his eighth choice, sacks him after five games, and goes back to one of the choices. It doesn't get said about these guys. Didn't get said about, you know, about Norwich sacking the manager after a win. Why do you think, you know, give me your view, your colleagues across the country, why the antagonism towards Amanda Staveley in particular, but the whole ownership group? I think maybe it's two things. She's an outsider who is no standing in football you, you know that's how they look at it even though she helped broker the man city deal of course which was transformative for that region as well and sadly i think because she's a woman i think that sadly plays a part in it as well um i think they there are people in the game of a certain generation who, who will look at it that way um and it's going to take time to change that but i think her her actions are what's going to change that as well if if she can do what she plans, which is turn Newcastle into title winners in five to ten years, you know, no one can can touch her. Um, I think what's been encouraging for me is we're we're seeing communication from the owners. Um, even they've admitted that they've made mistakes. They're owning up to it. And for how many years have we had owners who who've just hidden behind? You know, um, it's funny. You think of that last transfer window. Do you remember that statement the club put out? That bizarre <laughs> statement trying to justify spending. Faceless, no name put to it. And no one was surprised, were they? It's like, oh, this is classic Newcastle. What other club in the land would do that? Um, and when we see Amanda Stavely come up regularly, you know, the, the first stage, Jesmond Dean House, as the lads mentioned, you know, literally stand in front of a camera. And I know there'll be some people say, playing up to the cameras or whatever, but, but she wants to communicate with the fans. 
we're just the <laughs> the mouthpieces you know to to pass on the message and um i think our interview with the the club the other the other week was was really encouraging as well and i hope it lasts that they they continue to communicate because it's the least you guys deserve after 14 years of just being shut away from from the club you love and i think she gets that and whatever about the money um we just want an owner who who understands what this club means to the region and uh, i feel she does that and whatever people say in london or or talk sport it really doesn't matter it's what she actually delivers and does is is what matters the communication thing i mean there's a wonderful irony in lee charney's last public utterance being two years ago saying i'm going to communicate more <laughs> uh, <laughs> i was going to say you, you guys you guys did an entire podcast <laughs> podcast out that statement did you not last did, yeah. but just, just in terms just quickly in terms just something you said there alex about people saying they're playing football manager what you need to realize is that all the all the links to players speculation regarding who the club are going for none of that's coming from them like that's not that's not them. They're not they're not telling us journalists, right? We're going to go for this player, that player. That's not coming from them. That's coming from agents who are trying to jump onto the bandwagon. I'm sure everyone's aware of that. So they're not they're not you know yes yes they they probably gave us too much information regarding Steve Bruce leaving and and potentially Unai Emery arriving, but that's they're not they're not throwing the names out in the press every day. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Eddie Howe. First game on Saturday. I cannot wait. One of the biggest games in James's Park in years. Should be an absolute belter unless we get beat. Um, <laughs> you know, Keith. You know, I've seen you speak to Eddie. What do you, What do you make of the man? Firstly, I can't believe you've left out Steve Bruce. I thought that was the next thing with, with, a, hit, with, a, got, with a hit man sitting to my, we've my got, left. We've got here. the Bruce Slayer <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> Um, Eddie, how would I make of him? He said all the right things. Um, I've obviously, a few of my colleagues who have dealt with him before down at Bournemouth um, say that he's a, a great operator. Um, we had an interview with Matt Ritchie today who said they've had 10 days of, of sheer intensity in training. He said Eddie's standards are 100% high and they said they've been given a lot of detailed information to take on board. So that's what he had to uh, say today. He said he's delighted that Eddie's got the job because it's a perfect fit for the club. I get the impression, just speaking to a few of the players, that they're excited to play under him. I heard an interview with Fabian Scher actually earlier on today as well, when he said training has been amazing and he's only been there for two days after being away on international duty. So that tells you it all. Look, I don't think he's. I don't think he is the. I don't think he's the the sexiest of names compared to some of the others who were in for the job and and have been mentioned. But I think it's the sort of uh, job at the moment where you just need someone to try and get get them out of or get get you guys out of trouble. Mm. And um, whether whether that is Eddie, time will tell. But certainly, I thought he was very impressive at his news conference last week. He said everything and more than than what we'd expect, both in the um, press conference and then I had a one to one interview with him afterwards. Very very impressive. Um, and, and you know, he, he made a little comment which I, normally we wouldn't normally talk about, and I think it was pretty much off, off the record, but I think a couple of the guys reported it afterwards when he kind of stood up at the end of the press conference and he said, look, I want us all working together here. I don't want anyone kind of making things difficult for us. We, we all want the best for the football club. We want them to stay in the league and we want to build from here, so, so let's do this. So I thought that was quite clever and to, to do that, to ensure that people aren't already working against them. Um, and listen, yeah, I think everyone concentrates on the fact he was relegated from Bournemouth, but just remember where he took that football club from. And I think he deserves the respect and he deserves the time due to what he's done before. I, I remember watching matches at St James's Park when Bournemouth came before and been really impressed with the way they play. So he's had that 10 days to work with the players. They seem to be enjoying it. Let's see if that translates to, to performances. You'd like to think 
given the fact there'll be a new manager bounce and the fact that a number of the players know him already, he's going to probably get an extra 20% at least out of the, the players. And you look at the next four fixtures, if you can get seven minimum seven, I would say, potentially nine points out of those next four games, you're on to something. You then go into the January transfer window, hopefully out of the bottom three, you can then attract bigger players to the football club than you could than you, than you would if you were like second bottom of the league. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm devastated. I think it's a terrible appointment. There's no more training ground fights. <laughs> uh, the, the, the moles are hibernating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the previous regime's answer to stopping training ground fights was just not to train. <laughs> I love the way Hope, Hope, is just, Hope has just been uh, asked about Eddie Howe and he's still talking about Steve Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I'd echo everything. I, I think it was exactly what the, the players needed in terms of this sort of... The, this modern-day clipboard manager who comes in and he, he's out on the training pitch before them. He's in the gym, gym himself, you know, seven late in the, in the morning. He, he, he trains with them. He's got energy. He's got ideas. It was exactly what the, the, the modern player, and this set of players in particular, needs to, needs to buy into. I mean, so the message coming out of the, the sort of the training ground in the past two weeks has been that it's almost felt like pre-season. The players are going home and they're, they're going to bed. They're absolutely shattered. And Callum Wilson gave a, a telling interview with the... the uh, the Chronicle this week when he said, you know, <laughs> we knew this was coming when he was someone, a player at some point was going to intimate that fitness levels weren't where they were at previously. And that, that was everything we were being told. This was all of the information coming out that the players weren't being trained hard enough. That intensity wasn't there. The, the structure wasn't there. The schedule wasn't there. And, you know, I saw Steve Agnew this week gave an interview and he said, you know, we went off what the sports scientists said and he was almost having a little bit of dig at it us reporters for reporting that, that they didn't train enough and the supporters for jumping on that. Well, well, no, don't worry about supporters or sports scientists or, or, or journalists. Go and speak to your players because that information was... At the end of the day, journalists are messengers. And if we put something in the paper, it's come from somewhere. And the fact that we were... We've highlighted repeatedly now for the last 12 months that there was issues with the training schedule in, in, in the... Listen, I mean, the, the, the holiday over the, the last international break was just incredible, and that was so badly received uh, amongst the dressing room for, for players to turn up on a Monday morning expecting to train, only to be told the manager wasn't coming until the afternoon because his Jet 2 flight wasn't due in from Portugal. Just tells you all you need to know about what was going on inside that football club. And I, I can't stress enough the, the strength of the information that was coming out with regards to, to how unhappy the players were. Eddie Howe is coming, and all of that is, is immediately lifted. You know, it's just, it's positivity is all you're getting back. And I think in that regard, I think it's a wonderful appointment. I think it's exactly what they need. Even little things like training at St. James's Park on, on Saturday as well, and he spoke to them about visualisation. They'd never done that before, to, to, to my knowledge. You know, stand in the position you will be in on Saturday afternoon and, and, and go through what you're actually physically going to do on that patch of grass. I just think it's, it's so simple, but it's brilliant. And... And everything coming back is, is, I think we will see a, a huge uplift on, on Saturday. L listen, the one good thing about inheriting a team from Steve Bruce is there's so many areas you can improve on. Uh, <laughs> you know, straight away, you can, you can make easy gains in fitness, motivation, organisation, communication. It's wonderful, really. It's almost similar to inheriting a football club from Mike Ashley. There's no yeah. cost cutting. He's fucking done it all. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, on Saturday, it just, me and Alex were talking before then, Keith alluded to it, I'm so looking forward to Saturday, it almost feels like, like day one in many ways, and that enthusiasm that's running around the club and the, tra and the training ground now, you know, it's a chance to, to, to launch Newcastle 
Mark two or whatever you want to call it, but no, it should be should be a really really good deal. I'm looking forward to it. I think the most important thing is that the players like the manager. Like the, mm. the journalists can like the fans can like the manager. It doesn't really matter if the players want to play under that manager. It's an obvious thing to say, but it's it's half the battle, isn't it? And mm. certainly from speaking to a few of them since he's arrived, they are all absolutely buzzing for that first game. So let's hope we see that manager bounce that, that we do quite often when 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 new gaffers arrive. Same question, Kieran, mate. Yeah, it's it, he's he's fresh, he's meticulous. It, I'd say a lot of these players, when Rafa Benitez left, kind of realised, oh, not every manager trains the way he does. And I think it's the same with those lads who worked with Eddie Howe, Callum Wilson, Matt Ritchie, uh, Ryan Fraser. I think when they go with other managers, they realise, oh, not every manager is as detailed as his intent. You know, he'll stop them after any mistake um, to the point where it's so intense that the players are, you know, collapsing to their knees. You know, that, that's that been the fitness levels at the moment that, that the lads have alluded to. You know, they this has been a, a real shock to the system, but I think in a good way. Um, the great thing is the, the information we're getting is as much as the, the players are enjoying it, Eddie Howe has been really impressed by their response. So if that is the, the harmony at the moment, you would expect a really good performance on Saturday. Um, we don't want to speak too soon, but the, the problem with Newcastle really has been, obviously they haven't won a game, but... We've not seen a complete performance. You know, they, they just don't look like they can carry out a job over 90 minutes. Whereas I think with Eddie Howe, every one of those players will know their jobs. Um, you'll see a very well-drilled team, considering he's only been there 10 days. And I think it could be the first step in hopefully them staying up because uh, you look at the games coming up, if they can take nine points, as Keith said, uh, it gives them a chance. Um, we have to remember, I think it's only 11 games in. I know the odds are stacked against them, but... They do definitely have a chance now, you feel, with Eddie Howe. And if they can get to January within distance, there will be players out there, I think, who will fancy that challenge. You know, um, It'll be really interesting to see who the owners target. Do you go down the, the proven Premier League players route where you know guys out of favour at Manchester United, like Jesse Lingard, say, do you try and go and get him? Do you look at someone like James Tarkowski who you know, might fancy a move to Newcastle in the right circumstances? You know, it, a lot is going to ride on these next nine games. It's really important that Newcastle are, are still within touch and distance. And it's all very positive now, but you know how this club works. We'll be asking <laughs> questions as journalists. You train them too much, Eddie. Another <laughs> 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 word coming. No days off. Yeah. Uh, Lucy had the right idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fine line, though. Like seriously, it is, yeah, it yeah. is a fine line because we're saying that about players wanting to be trained hard. They also like a lot. Of the, most of the players, well, all of them. Some of them are their families are down south, they're abroad, whatever. They like it when it's international break and they get some time off. And Hopi and I have spoken about this a number of times. Where you know, I think there's an expectation um, from supporters that they expect them to be training every day. Like you're only going to get the best out of players when you give them that time away as well. I think sadly for Steve Bruce, he gave them too much time away. But it's mm. it's. I think it's important that he's had that 10 days where he's worked them tirelessly this, this last 10 days. But I think moving forward, he's probably going to be a little bit, a little bit more cute in terms of how he does it. Just, the, 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 just tell your Steve Bruce stories, lads. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I think the point I'll make is with Keith, like at least Keith fell out with Steve on the last day. I fell out with him on the first day. <laughs> he, he, I had two years he, of this. Never mind the first day. He fell out with him after 45 minutes because he put on Jetro Willems at centre midfield instead of left back. What was he doing? I was sat next to him in the, in the press box and he went, he's no up to it, this boy, right? <laughs> I so said, is that you decided already after 45 yeah. minutes? So now I went on Sunday supplement a, a few weeks later and, uh, and obviously I said what I did about, about Steve and I had a, 
pretty strong opinion from from the off. And then that was on the Sunday, and Newcastle had a League Cup game on the Tuesday. So I think there was a press conference on the Monday, and we sat in the little uh, the little room at uh, at the training ground, and Steve walked in. And he said, I've heard all about you on the telly yesterday, thinking you're a big shot. You know, I'm a shit manager with shit tactics. I've heard all about it. I said, you're exaggerating, Steve. I said, I, I honestly didn't say that. Anyway, I went back that night and watched the show back for the first time. I fucking did say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but, but <laughs> everyone says I handed in from, from day one. I didn't, I had in, it was day two, basically, it was, it was, it was that first game and that first week, the, the Arsenal game, the substitution, what then happened at Norwich, and I made this point on, the, on the, the radio a couple of weeks ago that, you know, Simon Jordan accused me of having an agenda against Steve Bruce, I didn't, I had an opinion, you allowed to have an opinion as a journalist, and that opinion was based on what I saw with, with my own eyes and what I had in terms of information, I said to Simon Jordan, you've got to respect my opinion based on the information I get. Judging, some of the st- judging by some of the stories I've, I've written. You know, I'm not just sitting there making, making this up. This is coming from within at the end of the day. And, you know, this might sound like butter wouldn't melt, but we are merely messengers. You know, we are merely passing a, a, a message from, from, from somewhere else in terms of the, the information we get. Yeah, what was the question? <laughs> Forget the question, run out of time. <laughs> yeah, I think it was about Amanda and the structure. Yeah. And I think this, repeat myself to a degree in terms of what we said earlier, but... That football club for a long time has had an absolute vacuum of expertise at, at, at executive level and they need, a, they need a real senior British suit in there, someone who knows the league, has got contact, someone who's been on that, that journey before. And I think they, they realise that as, as, as good a people as they are, a man, they're in a husband and everyone around it, they do need that appointment. Nice one. Brilliant. Thanks, lad. Charlotte has some questions for you from the floor. Well, you're coming up, Charlotte. Can I just say, I've been working here for eight years, right? I've been covering the club for eight years. And when I moved down from Scotland to, to take this job, this is how I envisaged um, covering Newcastle United. This is what I thought it would be like, this level of interest and excitement. And I have to say, it's not been like this at all. So it's, it's so nice to be here and just see so many people. He's going to cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've already cried once on TV. I'm not going to do it here. Thank you to people who have written in questions. We're going to do this with the second panel as well. So if you want to do that, just do that in the break. Um, okay, to the panel. Nobody's put their names on, so it's just anonymous. Do you <laughs> this one's not from you then. Um, There's none from Alex B, is there? <laughs> <laughs> All right, um... <laughs> no, just to confirm, no. Um, do you see there being any truth in other Premier League clubs refusing to sell to Newcastle United? There's a couple like that in this pile, so... Yeah, I think they might find it hard. I think there's such a, a level of opposition to to the takeover, and, and basically it's born out of jealousy, born out of the, the green-eyed monster. Uh, so I think when Newcastle come to do business in January... They might find, you know, there is a, an extra zero, so to speak, on the end of some of the, the asking prices. Uh, to that end, you know, my information at the moment is that the, the concentrate in, in terms of uh, abroad, the, the recruitment efforts, and primarily players who might be out of contracts in the summer, who are foreign-based, who you could probably get in a knockdown price, 
in January. So, yeah, I, I don't think you might not see a massive amount of, of trading between Newcastle and other Premier League clubs. I think that's because they know that, don't they? I think they, I think they know it's going to be difficult and they know it's going to cost more. And you've got to remember, despite the wealth that they've got, as you're all aware, aware they're working under, they're going to still be working under restrictions due to financial fair play. So you want to try and get as, as much as you can out of your your budget. And I think they know that by buying from abroad, that's, that's how they're going to do it. And the rest of the Premier League would love to see Newcastle relegated. Say the next three home games don't go as well and Newcastle are adrift in January. Well, wow, what an opportunity that is for the rest of the league to, to kick them out of the picture, basically. So now I think it will be difficult. There will be clubs as well, though, that if they've got dead wood and they know Newcastle have money, they're not going to turn their noses up as well. There will be a bit of both. I think there will be some clubs, you know, you think Crystal Palace in particular really stood up against this who wouldn't sell Newcastle a player over their dead bodies, but there will be other clubs who will see it as an opportunity as well. So they kind of have to be careful as well. They don't want to get dragged into clubs that are willing to do business only if they sell at a premium. You know, Newcastle probably find there'll be a price for them and a price for another club, and that's that's a big challenge as well. Do you not think that there's a balance to be struck between like players who want to go? Like once yeah. players get the like itch or like they think, oh well, I could earn more money at Newcastle or Newcastle on the up if we are doing well by. Do you think that'll matter do you think that'll change people or, do, or not i think it'll be fascinating to see the level of player who's willing to come to the club at this stage of the of the process bearing in mind that you could be joining a club in january which which could be in the championship come may so uh listen i've seen some of the the, the names linked I, I actually don't know for certain who, who they are targeting as keith said earlier you know the guys with the, if you go to the guys within the within the consortium on the fringes of it with names they're just batting them all away that they, they actually don't know i don't think at the moment uh, it's very much a, a moving process, so we'll we'll see where it goes. But you, you would like to think, especially the noises coming out in terms of what the players are experiencing with Eddie Howe. I think that can only be positive in terms of in terms of enticing players to the club in January. Which is kind of um, one of the question leads into one of the questions, which is: Is Eddie Howe step one of this rebuild? Is he? Is I, I guess yes, but. Maybe is he not. Mark well, Hughes, in fact? Yeah. yeah, I mean, listen, that's up to him. That's up to how well he does. And I'm sure he'll have his eyes on, on going further. I think what was interesting at his press conference last week is literally all he wanted to talk about, and it didn't matter how many times or how many ways he was asked the question, literally all he wanted to talk about was surviving relegation this season because he knows that that is imperative that to then move forward. I actually don't, as much as I'm saying he would like to be here long term, I don't think he's actually thought beyond that. I, I honestly don't think, I think it's, he's very much been brought in um, to firefight this season and then take it from there. But if he does that and he keeps Newcastle up, given the start to the season that the club have had, it would be it would be sort of close to mirac miraculous. So I, I think it's up to him what he wants to make of it. Um, I think he's got all, all the tools there and I think he's got good enough experience to be able to do what he wants. And as I alluded to earlier, it's about how much the players like playing from him. And, and it, by, by all accounts, it sounds like they enjoy training on, under him. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that will work out on the pitch as well. But it was, it was I thought that was really enlightening was on the day that he, he signed, the day he did the news conference to say that all he was thinking about literally was the next six months and he was not thinking beyond that. And I think that, I actually think that's a sensible way to do it. There's no point in him looking beyond that. You're also getting a manager with his best years ahead of him as well. He's only 43 years old and he's been around for, for so long now. I remember covering lower league matches, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago and being down at Bournemouth and speaking to Daddy, I think I was covering a Hartlepool game, speaking to Eddie Howe afterwards and it was like, wow, he's so young, but you didn't feel that the other day. You thought you had a guy sat there in front of you with a little bit of stature, a little bit more confidence, bags of enthusiasm. 
and as, as, as Keith and Kieran said, you know, it, it was a, a it was an, an understated yet a, a steely, impressive unveiling. I thought, and I really, not that I've, I've changed my mind, but I've actually been more impressed with what I've heard, what I've read, what I've seen than I perhaps was before he was appointed. So yeah, it's like a Majesty said, uh, he's not afraid of relegation, and it's not so much that okay, he thinks they're going to relegate. It's like He's got the character to maybe take them out of the bottom three. You know, they c- there would have been bigger names who they could have got, but he's weirdly is, uh, uh, you know, people say, oh, he doesn't have relegation experience, but obviously going down, but he, he kept Bournemouth up for, you know, was it four of, the, of those five years? and yeah, He did nothing but fight yeah. relegation. <laughs> exactly, so yeah. in a weird way, he might be well suited to this. But th- listen, there's a lot of luck involved. There is. There's a, there's a lot of luck when a new manager comes in. If they get off to a good start, the wheels start rolling and then you take off from there. And I, and I firmly believe that you get managers who are just a good fit for a football club. And you could sit here and Matt Rich is today saying, yeah, he's a great fit. You don't know, you're, we're not going to know that until towards yeah. the end of the season. So you need to just let it play its, play its course. But certainly on the day he arrived, he was very, very impressive in, in everything he said. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, uh, I don't really know where to go with it. There's quite a lot of good questions. Um, a lot of questions, well, quite a few of the questions here are of this theme. And I don't want to say the words, if we were relegated. Um, <laughs> do you guys think that the Premier League could change the owners and directors test and stop us coming back up in in that way? Or do you think that, you know, there's, there's talk of Premier League clubs trying to reverse the takeover? I personally don't think that's possible at all at this stage but people are asking this question i think that's just i think you, like it's, it's, you're obviously going to worry about situations like that but i wouldn't i honestly wouldn't be worrying about that at the moment i don't i honestly don't think that's an issue no you okay. can't remove owners yeah, yeah. you know who, who would own it us lads <laughs> how much we raised tonight uh <laughs> you know going to the just, food bank we can't <laughs> you can't just remove owners no i wouldn't worry about something like that i'd, I'd, I'd be worried about relegation you know yeah. the club doesn't want to go down and set it set it back on the, the, the journey and what they envisage for, for development and all the rest of it. So you wouldn't want to go down, but I wouldn't worry about yeah. the takeover being reversed. I think, that, I think that kind of worry is probably residue from the last sort of 14, 15 years being left mm-hmm. over, and that is probably why you're, you're thinking in that way. But that, no, there's not, there's, I don't think there's anything in that way to worry about at all. I think for a lot of people it hasn't sunk in yet, even yeah. still. It's been, no, it's been six weeks, but like for ages after I was just thinking they're going to, they're gonna say it, it was a mistake, or like, <laughs> the, sorry, we made it. We made a terrible mistake. It's still Mike Ashley. Like, I just felt like that rug was gonna be ripped from under us. So, it's probably from that. I won't keep you too much longer. I'll let everybody have a break and another drink. Um, I'm gonna finish on a question from me. Do you think we have what it takes to stay up, everybody on this panel? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think if Saturday feels, uh, as uh, Alex was saying, it feels like the biggest game in St. James's in years. I, I genuinely think it could be like a, a snowball if they can win that, you know. Um, we saw the second half of last season, you know, the depths of Brighton, but once Newcastle had a bit of momentum, that togetherness and spirit, uh, they, they went on a roll. So this team, I, I do think, is capable of going on a roll, maybe not to that freakish extent, but it's possible. I mean, the odds are stacked against them. I think Derby County, the only team, 20-team Premier yeah. League to have done it, but those records are there to be equal, aren't they? So, uh, yeah, I think they can. Okay. Well, listen, I've got to say yes, because one thing I've always maintained in, in copy and broadcast, all the rest of it, was that this group of players are better than, than what we've seen, better than what they are. I think it was this narrative began to emerge in the past sort of, you know, 
few months that no manager could do any better with this group of players. That it was all Mike Ashley's fault. Okay, listen, Mike Ashley was, was the problem, the wider problem, but in the immediacy, in the isolation of the, the day-to-day management of the team, there was, a, there was another problem. Of course, they're better than Kate. You've got some real talent in there. You speak to some of the players in there, and, and, and they think it's scary where they are in the league. So I just think with a better manager, with better direction, better preparation, I think they have got what it takes to stay up. But the next three matches at home will tell us an awful lot. Yeah, my, my only worry would be um, when Eddie Howe was at Bournemouth, they didn't really keep the door shut at the back. And that's obviously been Newcastle's biggest issue that, this season. Only time will tell. I think if you get points, as Craig says, in the next three, four games, you could get the ball rolling and go, go from there. Because if you if you if you only get a couple of points out the next four games and you go into that horrendous run up until Christmas it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, but listen, if the worst does happen and you get relegated, it's, it's, just, it's basically just setting you back a year or two. Like, it's mm. not the end of the world. What would, you, what would you want? Would you rather you were in that situation with the new owners or do you wish you were still hanging on to the, the Premier League under Mike Ashley? And that's the question you need to ask yourself. And I think if they did go down with Saudi owners, you know... Would you could potentially win every game. How great would that be? I know Wonderful. You, you guys just just, just get Mitrovic back would be a brilliant game. You, <laughs> <laughs> you, that's why you've kept Dwight Gill. You loved that season in the championship, oh, didn't it's you? Brilliant. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you very much, everybody. Big round of applause for our panel. Um, um, okay. Thanks, everybody, for staying. Um, we are going to start the next part. We have Simon Beard from the Mirror. Thank you. George Culkin of The Athletic. <laughs> and Chris Wolf, also of The Athletic. And Alex is still here. <laughs> Um, yes, yes, the Alex support corner's over there. My voice is breaking, that's great, great news. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. George has a quick message, I think, for us before we begin, so I will hand over to him. 
Uh, yeah, I've got a quick message from uh, Jamie Rubin, which I'd like to re read out. On behalf of the new ownership group, I'd like to say a huge thank you to all Newcastle United fans for the overwhelming warmth and passion of your welcome. These are early days and there's a huge amount to do, but we're determined to help the club fulfil its potential and we're all incredibly excited to see what Eddie, his staff and the players can achieve. Well done to True Faith for organising tonight's event and thanks to all of you for supporting the NUFC Fans Food Bank. It's a cause I feel strongly about. My family's foundation are matching every cash donation made on home match days this season and whatever is raised this evening will directly help people struggling to put food on the tables in this beautiful, unique city. Isn't this what being united means? Thank you again. Have a great night. And here's to three points on Saturday. Best wishes, Jamie. Absolutely brilliant, that. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks, George, for reading that out. Um, more there in 90 seconds than we've had in 14 years in terms of communication. So... We're off to a flyer. I've got a message from Mike Ashley as well. <laughs> we're going to talk about the future. We're going to talk about the potential of the club in this section. Um, George, I want to start with you, though. You wrote a piece recently in The Athletic which detailed some of the struggles that the ownership have had in terms of what they have found as they've moved in. Can you tell the audience tonight a little bit more about how big a rebuilding job is on the new owners' hands at Newcastle United? Um, yeah, well, it's a shell, isn't it? It's been a shell for a long time. It's been, it's been stripped back to the to the bare bones, and they're having to start from the very beginning. I mean, I think that's why, I'm sure all of you and all of us have to have great sympathy and empathy for the position they've walked into because effectively they're starting again. I mean, it was a functioning organisation, but only just, and it was on the bones of its arse. And um, you know, when Steve Bruce talked about keeping the club ticking over or keeping the team ticking over, it spoke volumes about the state of the club overall. They're ticking over, you know, with the aim of staying up, and that was it. And so, you know, I think there are, there are kind of big issues about what happens moving forward, but they've, they've gone in, they've tried to reassure people in all departments, uh, from the playing staff to, to the wider staff, and they've been sort of doing a full audit of what they've what they've what they found and, and what there's there but as we know i mean there are a load of very good people at the club whether it's players or whether it's wider staff but there's just not enough of them and so you know they are starting from scratch there was one director at the club when they when they joined in lee chandley and um you know it's not enough so um over time i'm sure they'll be looking at you know whether it's sporting directors and as, as the other guys mentioned before to um, to CEOs and things like that but the club is I mean I wouldn't say it's a mess but it's a shell and so it's about restocking the club at every at every level and yes I did I did a little story um, a couple of weeks back basically saying that they've already had to put in another 38 and a half million quid and I think that was a surprise to them I mean, I, I don't want to say sort of too much more than what I kind of put in, put in print, but that was to cover, you know, I think maybe some of that was to kind of cover Steve Bruce, but I was told that that is daily running costs, you know, and I guess as the club expands and gets bit bigger, it will need to spend more money, and that's fair enough, but I don't think they were anticipating putting that money in, put it that way. It's very interesting, isn't it, because supporters for many years, and 
nearly everyone in this room, I reckon, has tried to raise the alarm with each other. When we've done stuff at True Faith for the national press, we've talked about how much of a, a mess Newcastle United was in, and it's certainly been a fear of mine and a few others that actually we wouldn't realise the damage Ashley had done to the club until he left. And I, um, I think there's going to be a lot comes out next few weeks, months, that shows that how big a job this is. And, and you hear, you know, you hear criticism of the owners and they don't know what they're doing. And I just think it's probably a unique situation in the Premier League for, for owners at a club this size to walk in to the kind of mess that the club, it, club is in. On a more positive note, Simon, <laughs> um, <laughs> we, me and you were just talking there. Newcastle United is now one of the biggest stories uh, in football, not just football, beyond football uh, in this country anyway. And that must be incredibly exciting for you um, to cover the club again. You wrote a, a piece, a really interesting piece after the Spurs defeat, um, saying that it was, a, it was a great day at St. James's Park, but there was also a little bit of, a little bit of con conflict and unease there. Do you want to talk the audience through your feelings? Yeah, well, I mean, it is an incredibly exciting time. And as journalists, we've all, we've all felt it. Um, you know, the, the covering the takeover was a really difficult story for 18 months. There was a lot of, lot of stuff we wrote which knocked the takeover down 18 months ago, which people didn't like, um, but, it, but it proved to be true. Um, but at this point... There were no red flags, Simon, never. No, no, no red, red flags at all. No, <laughs> just, the, just the massive piracy bill. Small issue. So it is a huge story. I mean, from I, I was likening it before, uh, when talking to Alex, to, to when Bobby Robson got the club motoring around about 2001, two when I started this job, and they got to the Champions League, and every day we woke up, the boss was asking for a page... To, Asking us to pay for the page doesn't matter. Nobby Solano said anything; it got a page. You know, it was it was it was, it was that big, and, and the fan base was energised. And they're probably the memories we hang on to when we've covered the club for the last twenty years. They're like they're almost ancient history now, and there's a generation of people here who probably were like five years old at the time. But that that I think that I would liken the current situation to that, um, whereby. Like the lads were saying before, you get stopped by people who aren't, you didn't realise were football fans asking you what's happening at the club, what, what's your opinion on it. It is, it is massive. Web hits have gone through the roof. Um, so it is, a it is a huge story. The other part of your question was um, the, the first game at, at Spurs, which, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll go back to the hotel room and Amanda Staveley and the, the Staveley's hotel, uh, Amanda's hotel was, uh, room was quite busy that night. I think we all <laughs> spent a little bit of... A little, <laughs> A little, a All I'm saying is that I was last in. You were last in. Yeah. Mm. I, was, I, was, I was after Craig. I felt better about that. Um, that's really sexist. Yeah, um, yeah that's terrible. Anyway, but we had, uh, 20, I had 27 minutes with her that night. 26 and a half minutes more than I ever had with Mike Ashley. And that's when we chased him around the stadium in Mallorca, oh Mallorca and Sports Direct. Sports Direct. Sports, sports, sports we bought shares, we bought shares sports to see him. To yeah. And within two hours of the club changing hands, Amanda Staley was having us... Uh, well, sorry. Well, welcoming us, welcoming us uh, into her, into her hotel room for constructive chats and serious dialogue about the future of the club. Um, so that that is the one thing they've got right, which I don't feel feel uneasy about at all. They've got the communication right. Brilliant message from Jamie Rubin. We stole him in the hotel, bumped into him twice, chatted about the future of the club. It was an amazing day that, and they were so open and honest, and and you know just just glad to have the place. That, that you know, it really enthused you. You know, if you were, if you felt privileged to be there because all you fans wanted to be there, and we were trying to get the messages across. 
but yeah, obviously we've covered this story for two years, and there's a bit of there's a bit of unease because you're seeing you're reading about where the money's coming from. There are obviously you've all read you're all well informed about the debate about the Saudi the Saudi um, takeover and human rights, etc. Um, I, I did feel a bit uneasy when the chairman got got uh, got uh, got uh, that huge cheer just before kickoff, but then. It kind of encapsulates the story when you see him two days later shaking hands with the Queen in Buckingham Palace, and you're thinking, this is way beyond the power of Newcastle fans to, to influence. They're just happy their clubs got rid of Mike Ashley, and they've got a future now that they can look forward to. And if, even if mistakes are made, and it's an up-and-down journey, you've got a future to look forward to by people who understand and, and actually get the city and get... They've done a lot of research. Manor Staley's been up a lot. They know what the fans want, and they know what the city wants. And I think you're going to have to get used to Chief sports writers raising the issue of human rights and the Saudi money and it being dirty money and MBS being fingered for the murder of the journalist, which is appalling, and probably we all we all certainly condemn that. However, um, you know it's 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 not it's not Newcastle fans' power to change that. Um, so I think as this journey, you, you're going to have to be less sensitive, and we're all going to have to be less sensitive as, as people who love Newcastle to that kind of thing being being raised. Um, and I think most people generally just want to kind of enjoy their football and the, the initial feeling is relief uh, that it's been taken over. Yeah, well said, well said. Chris, you've been covering the club for a few years now. I'll ask you a hard question. How big do you think this club can be under this ownership and how, and how big do you think the ownership wants it to be? I mean, I'd like them to win a game first, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, th I think that I think that can be absolutely massive. I mean, the, the ownership's ideas, the, the the vision is to be the biggest among the biggest, if not the biggest club in the world. That is that is the idea, and that seems fanciful. It seemed fanciful six weeks ago. It seems fanciful now. And as I say, that they can't win a game. But the idea is for them to be to to be huge. They want the the the, the Saudi involvement in terms of all, there's all of the controversial issues, but also the idea that the Saudi the Saudi PIF would not be involved if this wasn't to turn Newcastle from being a £305 million football club into a £3 billion football club, if not more. That is the idea here. That And the way that you grow the Newcastle to be a revenue-making machine in, in, in theory and to grow in terms of strength is to they need to be in the Champions League every season. They need to be winning trophies every season. And so I think that if we look back to, to the 90s and we look back to the Sir Bobby Robson era and, and what the club became during those times, I think that the idea is to go above and beyond that. I mean, to win something obviously would be nice because none of those teams actually won anything. But to go above and beyond and to, to, to be massive. And it seems it seems ridiculous at this stage to compare Newcastle to someone like Liverpool or Manchester United in terms of global profile, in terms of trophies won, in terms of year upon year. But the idea is to be that big. Now it's going to take a number of years because, as 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 George was discussing before, the infrastructure just isn't there. It took Man City from a similar sort of base in terms of probably not having uh, the infrastructure there. It took them five, probably eight years to get to the stage where constantly every year, I think with Newcastle it may take a little bit longer because the difference now to then is that there is Man City around, the Chelsea are around, uh, Liverpool are strengthened. There are so many more teams to compete with, but I do think that, that Newcastle, under this ownership, if and when they get it right, which may take a bit of time, could be absolutely huge. But that, that thing about one game is... I know we were laughing at that, but that is so important. I mean, here, you know, we, we were there in the hotel and hearing them talk about 
winning the championship or the Champions League within five, not the championship, for fuck's sake, um, <laughs> within the Premier League within five years. Might, might have to do that. Uh, between five years, ten years, whatever. And at the moment, they can't win a single game of football. I mean, so one of the things that we have to get our heads around is the, is the, is the divergence between those two things. And at some point, Newcastle will have to win one game of football. And... Um, you know, it was refreshing. It was refreshing to hear Eddie Howe last week say that the only thing he was thinking about was the nine games before January, because, you know, we, we can all see the Newcastle that we want. I mean, I've no, I've not seen Newcastle win a trophy in my lifetime, and I kind of gave up on that years ago, and life life got much sort of easier because of it. And now I'm having to kind of com- contemplate that again, which obviously is wonderful. But at the same time, they can't win one single game. They've got to get to the point in in January where they're still you know, where they're still in touch. But talking about that, talking about the Spurs game, I was there, I was there as a fan, actually. I was in the stand. And um, God, you know, for the two hours, the two hours beforehand outside was astonishing. Not seeing stuff like that for years, years upon years. I can't remember the last time I saw outside the stadium full of people actually wanting to be at the, actually wanting to be at the stadium, turning up to be there. And you saw a, gl- you know, I, I went to the food bank and we're chatting to people there, chatting to Bill and and people there, and you know that sense of wanting to be at the stadium. The, st- the stadium had got in the way on a Saturday, you know, the stadium was in the way on a Saturday. The game was the bad bit. It was the shit bit. And for ten minutes, when the game kicked off, that sense of emotion when that goal went in. That's when you saw. That's when you saw what Newcastle can be and could be. And there was that moment when you realise what that is, when Callum Wilson scored that goal, it was a fucking great goal. But when that goal goes in, you suddenly realise that everybody in the stadium wants the same thing. For the f- and I know Steve Bruce was still there, but everybody wanted the same thing for the first time for how many years? That everybody, because Newcastle had been at war, you know, and, and if a club is about anything, it's about everybody joining together for a common cause. There was no common cause. And for 10 minutes we saw, you know, for 10 minutes you got a glimpse of the club Newcastle could be. That's what they can be. I don't think it's... Chris mentioned Tottenham, Liverpool, etc. I don't think it's fanciful to say Newcastle can be as big as them because they are, in terms of fan base, support, the, the, the noise in the stadium. And 18 years ago, before the neglect of, of the Ashley era, they were on a par, money-wise. With They brought in the same income as Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea. And then because of the neglect on the commercial side... They they fell back th- fell way behind and now we're three three ta- we we have an income three times less than than those ma- those elite clubs it's five hundred million at the top now and Newcastle are on, on about one hundred and seventy million uh, of turnover so it's not fanciful to say that Newcastle can rebuild over the next ten years and be in that position because the foundations are kind of there to be to be built on now yeah. and the foundation is basically yourselves because when my I ring my boss in in, in London. Um, and they're, they're West Ham fans or whatever, they, they do actually appreciate the, the scale of the club, the one-city club with 52,000 fans through thick and thin, and that's what m- actually makes the club special. So it's not, it's not fanciful and to say that it can't be built up. And that's what Amanda Staveley thought four years ago. I mean, you know, the vision they had at a time when Leeds weren't in the Premier League was that they saw the club of the north. I mean, what a powerful vision, you know, what a powerful vision that is, that this huge hub all these fans, all this potential should be bringing players to them, should be nurturing their own players and that sense of being a beacon for the, in the north, that's what they saw and that is still, you know, that is still there. Leads on nicely to my next question, George. The, the time that you guys have had with the owners and the people around them, 
what is it apart from like you say maybe winning a trophy or winning a match or all of these things what is it that excites you the most about their vision for the club um i think it is actually just that reconnection um and yeah i've seen a bit of that with jamie rubin um this evening but also i mean i know you t- you 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 talked at the start about about being in the hotel with uh, amanda at the start but I just thought that that thing of the owner of the football club looking into a camera and talking to people directly, um, bearing in mind what we'd had before, which was this like tortuous, unpleasant, um, sort of stunted communication. You, you longed for Ashley's Newcastle to talk, and when they did talk, you wanted them to shut the fuck up again. <laughs> because, what, because what they said ma- made either made no sense, or it was offensive, or it was this use of language that... You know, it wasn't English. It wasn't language that I can understand. And, you know, I, I you know, I'd, I'd love, I'd love the club to to to, to win something. But I, I just want people to feel part of it again. You know, and again, that's why I talk about that. Um, you know, the Tottenham game beforehand. People, people looking at the club and feeling a sense of positivity and hope, and being connected to it. I mean, that's what it's about, isn't it? Is is that not why we go? Is that not why we should go? Because in some way. It represents us, and for 14 years, it's not represent, re- represented anything. It's just been, you know, it's all those old phrases which I don't want to use again. But it's been a sport, you know, it's been the works team for Sports Direct. I mean, that's what it's been, and um, so in in terms of that emotional connection, I think that has been there, and I think they've said the right things. And of course, actions are the most important thing. But I, you know, I just want to feel a sense of connection to. The institu- you know, it's the biggest institution in the city. It's the best institution in the city. I mean, it's not the it's not the it's not the biggest sporting institution in the city at the minute because you've got the Great North Run. I mean, if you want to look at if you want to look at elite sporting success, it's not Newcastle United. It's the Great North Run. I want the club to go out and talk to people, to build relationships with fans first off, but you know, with businesses, with people like that, seeing how all those things can interconnect and just be part of it. You know, it's been on the top of the hill, aloof and cut off from everybody. Be part of it. I mean, that's not a very, maybe that's not a very exciting answer, but that's the thing I, you know, I want to feel, I want to feel that pull to it. I think the thing that excites me most is um, actually feeling the place being optimistic again. And we saw that in the stadium for the, for the, for the Spurs game and for, the, for those 10 minutes. But it actually takes quite a big mindset change for us as journalists as well, because we, I mean, literally, it, it's relentless. It's been relentless negativity and battering that regime and people for for a long time because they didn't communicate and all this. All I that don't stuff. have any positive words. No, no, it's but, it, but you cha- it, it's hard. Thinking, good, good. It, yeah, what do you do? I mean, uh, enjoying, uh, exciting. You know, it, uh, no, no. Do, do the word. Do the spell, word clouds. How yeah. do you spell fun? I know. It's it, and it should be. I think the thing that excites me is that going to a match should be fun. It should be taking your kids, being in awe of the stadium, being and we're in awe of the noise every time we go at the match when it's positive and the flag goes up, um, up the Gallagher end the other day and uh, that that that. I think it's the, the thing. I don't, I'm not bothered about like them signing 50 million players and and fancy names and someone from Barcelona. It's, it's actually just being in the stadium and seeing 50,000 people who have cared about the place for 20 years and not being optimistic about it. Actually, having a bit of fun and having a bit of optimi- optimism to cling on to.
Yeah, I'm most looking forward to reporting on Kylian Mbappe's hat-trick goal at Middlesbrough yeah. next season. <laughs> <laughs> Lowest common denominator. <laughs> I th- yeah, I think it's that sort of sense of identity, and that's a sort of difficult topic to talk about because, and I've done this on... I mean, it's weird because six weeks ago I was only ever invited onto sort of podcasts beyond sort of Newcastle United ones when people wanted to talk about the batshit football club and what had gone through, what Tona had done. And now it's sort of like it's be- Newcastle have become a global story and you, and you, and you, you get most of the time when you, you were asked as journalists to go on these programmes, you're asked about human rights, you're asked about Saudi Arabia. And this, this thing about identity comes up and people go, well, your club being owned, the club being owned by Saudi Arabia, how, how can you feel that identity? But it, it is that idea of being, of, of feeling that you can go back to the club again. And, and it was... our. our and the, the days that, that followed when the takeover ha- happened, I think that the stories that got to me most was when he had fans who had made the decision to walk away from the club, that, that what they wanted to be at the club but then, and, and watch the matches, but they'd made the decision to walk away because they, they thought it might f- affect change or they didn't want to sit through and give, and give Mike Ashley money, essentially. And that they then said, oh, I can, go, I can take my son to the game, I can take my daughter to the game and go as a family. And and that's a sort of there's a sort of disconnect there which I don't think people outside the area if you haven't if you didn't live the 14 years of Mike Ashley if you didn't live that time I think it's difficult for people to understand particularly people who aren't from the area in the region who don't understand that that connection with the club and it, it's also things like and going beyond that it, it, and this is it, it, it connected to that point is is if you look at things like the academy it's like historically Newcastle United and the wider northeast are renowned for producing players there, there is this they should still be producing players and yet Newcastle United just have not been doing that they haven't even been producing players really for lower league clubs most of the time not even f- of, of standard to play in the Premier League on a regular basis and to, to for, for an area and a region that is so proud and so connected to its team in theory its club in theory but hasn't been for 14 years trying to rebuild that and creating that identity between the club the city and the region again is for me the most important thing we're being very positive. I must say, however, as journalists, we can't get too carried away because we can't suspend our critical faculties at all and just be cheerleaders. There are going to be times where we're going to have to say, come on, you've got that wrong. You've got this wrong. What about this issue? So, you know, when, and I was introduced to Staverley as the sceptic uh, on, on that first day <laughs> and she'd read everything that we'd written, um, but she took it in very good spirits and it was, it was okay. Um, so yeah, we're not going to suspend it. We will, but the, we will report on stuff that goes wrong, and they will get criticism. But the good thing is, the other day, was it last week, when Amanda Staveley did her interview on the club website, and she said, "We're going to make mistakes, but we're going to admit to them. We're going to own up, and we're going to try and put them right." And I mean, I, I thought that was massively refreshing to hear an owner in a position of power to say that because the politicians don't do it these days. Businesses usually don't do it these days, and, and everyone just hides behind other people when they make mistakes. So if they're going to front up and, and you know. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> it was a great thing to see. Yeah, well said, guys. I think, George, your point about you know that, that period before the Spurs game, what was that, a two o'clock kickoff or something like that? I got into town about half 11. The bars were already busy. People were walking around smiling. Yeah. And it, was just, it, was, it wasn't just a different football club. It was a different city. And I was at Brighton the other week, and um, that was horrific <laughs> for most <laughs> of the game. But, he, but even in the bars... In Brighton City Centre, even though we're still shit, we are. We're not a very good club. We're, we're we're bad, but but there was so much positivity. There were so many people looking forward to the game because if we got a point like we did, it means something. It means we're building towards the next thing, whatever that is. And this season, we've got to stay up. There's, there's nothing beyond staying up this season. 
But it's just, for me, it's a sense of, of belonging again. Like, that's my football club. It's been Mike Ashley's football club for so long. Now I feel like it's my football club again. That means more to me than Killian and Mbappe's hat-trick at Middlesbrough uh, yeah. in the League Cup, because they're not going to be in the Premier League. Um, that's the most important thing for me. I think we'll have to move in, uh, on and talk about that, though, a little bit of football, lads. Can I just say one very quick thing? Because you talked about Wolves earlier, being at Wolves, and I was there and I was reporting on it, and um, I have to say that was one of my lowest points um, covering the club because um, I, I, knew you, I knew you were there and I knew quite a lot of people in the away end, and they all said exactly the same thing. It's that strange, long away yeah. end, so it's not great for atmosphere anyway, but everyone said, that's the flattest I've known it. And I got to the end of that game and I had to write something and I checked back through my notes and I did the Zoom with, I think you were there, Craig, as well, weren't you? At Wolves? No. And I did, um, I did, uh, I did, I did, uh, did the Zoom with Steve Bruce and I thought, this sounds, this sounds familiar, well, it did sound familiar because it was the same thing he said every week, but, um, <laughs> but I thought, I thought, I thought, I'm going to check back because I, I did Wolves the season before and I checked back through my notes about what he'd said and it was about, well, I'm trying to change the style of play and, um, I'm trying to bring balance into the club. And he said exactly the same thing. And it was 12 months on. And there was that sense of this is never, ever going to end. And I had this profound feeling of depression. And on the way back, on the way back, I rang up, uh, I rang up somebody who was, um, and this kind of gives a bit of insight into how quickly perhaps it all happened. But I, I rang up one of Amanda Staveley's football advisors who, you know, has absolutely been part of this for the last four years and, and more. And I just said that was, you know, that was that was awful. Is there any crumb of comfort you can give us? So this is the Sunday before the takeover happens. And he said, Well, I spoke to I spoke to Amanda last night, and she, um, you know, obviously there was the case coming in the January, and she said um, it'll be sorted out before then. Trust me. And this fella said, and I, I kind of said, and we both just said. Fuck's sake! She just says this all the time, doesn't she? It's like, <laughs> it's like it's just we've had how many years have we had of this? Eighteen months, two years. God Almighty, is that going to change? Anyway, but um, you know, to have that, and I was at Brighton too, and it was profoundly. <laughs> that was another. It was kind of distressing, and I've I've sort of allowed myself to get excited before every game since the takeover happened because you sort of think it'll be different, and of course, no, it's with you know, it's still shit. It's still shit. But um, I just want to cry now. I'm sorry, I've got myself really, I've got myself really sad. Why, was I th why, was I, why did I go, why did I go about that? But I mean, I, 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 hope, I hope that, you know, I'm, I am excited about this weekend too because um, it is the chance, you know, this possibly, we've, we've maybe had four goes at the takeover. You know, there was the, there's the fact it's actually happened. There's the Spurs games, you're waiting for the lift. Then there's Crystal Palace with Graham Jones. You know, and um, you know now we've now we've. I mean, it doesn't really happen, I don't think, until the first win happens. But if it does, mm. you know, maybe that's lift off. No, I totally agree, George. I'll uh, let people into a secret. You, um, me, and you had a chat, and you told me that the takeover might be happening this week, and I just burst out laughing and said, "Fuck off," because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I just yeah. thought it was so ridiculous and out, you know, out of the question. And yet here we are. Sat here talking about it. Chris, this is a big game this weekend. It's a big game. Um, I'm sure everyone's looking forward to it. You can't get a ticket. When we talk about Newcastle United as a big club and as a one-club city, I often think back to the championship season under Rafa Benitez when Newcastle were playing 20th place Bristol City at home. And you couldn't get a ticket. You couldn't get a ticket for St. James's Park for the second division. And it's the same this weekend, and it was the same against Chelsea and the same against Spurs. Newcastle are rubbish. 
Newcastle are an awful football team. I have been up until this point until we started to do crazy stuff like get the players into training every day. Um, <laughs> you can't get a ticket, and 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 I'm I'm just so excited for it, Chris. But can you can you reassure us tonight? Can we actually beat Brentford? I wouldn't have come to me for this question. Um, well, you, you, you're the one who... Anal- I love your pieces in the athletic. You analyse the players. They're all rubbish. They're all old. <laughs> I think Newcastle can, can beat Brentford. I mean, it was... it was. I mean, that, that should... That, oh, there was cheers for that. And it should, should, sounds like <laughs> ridiculous. Sounds, sounds like ridiculous sort of thing. It was like, but Brentford, Brentford coming, in, coming to St. James was on Saturday and it winning would be huge. But it would, it, would, it would be huge. I mean, they are in a, in a really, really difficult situation. And... In terms of Eddie Howe's appointment, I know this is meant to be the positive section of the of the night, and I know I'm meant to be answering this in a positive sense. But just bear with me. So when when Eddie Howe was first appointed, I was I was skept- I was skeptical about even skeptical about anyone being appointed. I thought it was a decent appointment, but equally, I just I just this the situation that Newcastle are in. I thought anyone is going to struggle in this situation. And then the more and more people I spoke to over the course of that week, and the more and more you heard about what was happening in the club, but also people who had worked with with Eddie Howe previously, and the more and more optimistic I got, the the detail, the ideas he was going to bring, uh, the modern approach, progressive, all of that sort of stuff. And so I, I got convinced that this this is the answer. This is going to be so so different. And then for a piece which is coming out tomorrow, I was looking at basically Eddie Howe tactically. And for the first, most of the t- his time at Bournemouth, Bournemouth were a progressive side. They're pushed forward. They're trying to get bodies forward. They're trying to progress the ball. It was it was about getting it back to front quickly, but in a, in a, in, a, in a nice style. And they're all about high intensity, high press. And then he sort of flipped things. And in his last eighteen months, uh, Bournemouth became more counter-attacking. For one season, they were very very good at it. And then the their final season in the Premier League, they dropped off. They stopped uh, pressing as much. They were slow in attack. They didn't have many opportunities. And I was Uh-oh. just reading this and thinking, this sounds this sounds worryingly familiar. So in terms of in that, I mean, Eddie Howe has had 15 months out of the game. He's gone away and he, he, he's thought about it. He's admitted that he sort of lost his, his footballing philosophy a little bit, his ideas. And he sort of has this, amazingly, he has this thing I mean, just comparatively to, to, to Steve Bruce, that, that he has Eddie Howe has this living, breathing document which he refers to as basically as like his foot, his, his footballing philosophy, his attacking footballing philosophy document, which he has spent the last fifteen months updating. And, and he, 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 he's, I mean, it's just incredible to think that. And I mean, I am petrified now of going into press conferences. And previously, I'd ask tactical questions, and Steve Bruce would just ignore them and go tactics, what tactics? Whereas now, now Eddie Howe is going to actually come back Tic-tacs. at me and realize <laughs> realize I don't actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when I ask these questions, so but that that so he has the he, ha, he has these ideas. He worked on it. it. Went wrong at Bournemouth, and for the vast majority of the time, it went right. And so I, I am optimistic and positive going forward. But it's just how quickly can he impart those ideas onto a squad who, even before Steve Bruce's time, the, the, the they have they have been a counter attack inside. That they are they have as as, as Alex alluded to. We, we did a piece on the Athletic this week, sort of looking at the squad. And, and the issue with Newcastle squad is not just a lack of quality in key areas. They also have a lack a lack of quality in players who are now ageing and beyond the stage that they were anyway. So they have diminishing returns from players who are already aren't good enough, particularly in central defence. And so Eddie Howe, 
part of his game, his style is that defensively he wants his he wants his central defenders to be good on the ball. Well, he's, he's apart from Fabian Shea, he's going to have found that he doesn't have those component parts at Newcastle. Fullbacks are very important to him. Newcastle don't even really have fullbacks in the squad. He plays a wingers. Newcastle signed Ryan Fraser as a winger in the summer of 2020, then just decided not to play a wingers and have, have, have played him as a number eight. So there are so many fundamental issues, and I'm fascinated to see by Saturday, how he addresses it, what he, what he tries to do and how much change there actually is. My favourite quote from his press conference, and I did write about this, was, was, that, was that thing about, what have you been doing during your time off? Well, I spent a lot of my time uh, transforming my coaching sessions into digital format. <laughs> and it's like top ten quotes that Steve Bruce would never, ever say in his <laughs> life. Uh, digital format. Ah, <laughs> uh, you like that one. Um, but... And, but it's like, and I suppose you also have to remember that whenever there's a change of manager, there is always that sense of, of, of that sort of contrast. I mean, I, I sort of think about this a lot. I kind of covered England for a while. And there'd always be that thing of, oh, the new manager's brilliant because it makes us wear suits. We have to turn up in suits. We feel so smart. And then that manager gets that because results are shit. And the next one comes in and relaxes it. And it's, oh, yeah, the manager lets us turn up in tracksuits. And it's great because we're all relaxed. There's always that sort of bit of a of a response and again as was sort of said before you know I, I adore Rafa and, and still do and, and um, you know wish he was kind of part of this but um, there was that sense that by the time he left his demands were so intense it was so intense every single day there's no respite we all saw those pictures of you know of him giving people advice when they're walking off the pitch and it was like you know they're, they're all feeling sort of like that and when Steve Bruce arrived, there was that kind of exhalation. And I think that was probably, I'm not saying it was needed at the time, but it was sort of certainly welcomed by quite a few people at the time. Now, having said that, people soon realised what they, what they were missing. And, you know, what they were missing was that sort of intensity and was that attention to detail and was that very structured, detailed plan. And by the end, under Steve Bruce, and there was, you know, there was mitigation, and I think mitigation in terms of COVID and mitigation in terms of the takeover lingering on and just, you know, just the general shitness of the whole of the whole kind of club, really. Um, but all sort of discipline had gone and all sense of kind of tightness had gone and players had stopped eating lunch together after training. People could sort of turn up, not whenever they wanted, but as long as they got on the training pitch on time, that was kind of pretty much seen, seen as okay. And the sort of impressive thing about Eddie Howe so far, and the necessary thing is he's immediately come in and tightened that up. Now, again, that doesn't mean that that works long term, but it's what exactly what was needed at this exact moment. And if it gets a result on Saturday, then it's a success, it's a success because it's something to build on. So, um, you know, but yeah, I love that sort of, you know, there is, there's, there's been a big sort of switch from relaxed to everybody has to be everybody has to be on it Simon uh, Eddie Howe right man right time for you yeah I think they've they've done well I think he's a, actually a better appointment than Unai Emery I think he would have taken time to settle in and I, I you know he, he obviously knows the league from being at Arsenal but I, I think getting Eddie Howe is, is is probably if you had to choose between the two I'd go for that uh, will it beat Brentford uh I think the players now haven't got any excuses. I think there's a lot of excuses that they can look at, which can dip you, you know, they can blame other people, they can blame the manager, they can blame the coaches. I think now they've got no excuses. 
um, to go and perform at their level. And I think the one thing going for Newcastle this season is that they, they can actually score goals. Their, their goal-scoring record, despite not having won, isn't that bad. It's kind of mid-table, upper mid-table. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think I think you can turn it around. And it was a split vote. I mean, I know that kind of came out a bit after the sort of Emery, um, Emery rejection or whatever you want to, want to call it, but... It was it was very much said at the time that it was very very close between the two of them. It was a two man shortlist by the very end. I think they spoke to twenty people or so in total, and it was a very kind of thorough thorough process. But it was a split vote between the two of them, and um, you know he'd he'd um, he was very impressive. He gave detail in his interview, which I think is kind of quite interesting. Where Emery was much more general, and the thought was. Okay, well, he's not going to a bit like Rafa. He won't tell you what he's going to do until he's actually in position of doing it. Whereas um, Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe gave a very detailed appraisal of what the squad needed and where it can improve. Do you think they're on the right track, George? You know, they use the word process a lot. There is clearly a lot of thought uh, given to decisions. You know, some people in the media criticise that and, and call it chaos. Do you, you know, speaking to Jamie Rubin like you do, speaking to Amanda Stavely and, and people like that, do you have a lot of confidence in these guys? Yeah, I mean, I do, but I think I do think I, 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 I do have concerns as well, and I I think I think that idea of process is very important and very positive and good and being thorough and um, taking your time over decisions, speaking to all the right people and coming to the uh, you know, coming to the right, and coming to the coming to the solution. I suppose the the one thing that I have in the back of my mind is that the people who are making those decisions finally aren't football people, and at some point at a club, you do need that. The second thing to say is that if this is still, if and you know, a lot of part of the deliberation has been because stuff has got to, has had to be signed off in Saudi Arabia, and PIF by all accounts, it's a very very slow decision-making process and everything has to be checked off and ticked off and everything has to be done like that. Now, if, if, I, if I move forward by a month or two months and we're getting close to January and it's still like that, that is a big problem. That is a big problem because, when I, because that's Mike Ashley's Newcastle and I'm not saying that to be sort of controversial but when you go back to, to Rafa's time at the club, it wasn't just about identifying people. It was about knowing when to move and knowing when to act and knowing when to respond. So you find somebody, you've done the outline of a deal, you have to press the button on it. And his big frustration was that stuff got snarled up and it didn't happen. You've got to be fleet of foot in the transfer market. You just have to be. You've got to move quickly. I think, I do think they know that, so that's good. Um, but, but yeah... They can't be spending weeks on decisions, as as Keith said earlier. You know, they took too they took too long with Steve Bruce. We all knew he was going, and you know, I understand that they had to sort of examine everything about his contract. They had to examine, you know, PIF wanted to know what happens next. We can't just why pay out all this money if we don't know what's happening next and all that. Well, my argument to that my argument to that uh, would be a football argument would be that everybody gets a lift just by just by him going. And that's what you know. That's what players needed. That's what fans needed, and so yeah. I mean, I do have faith. I do have faith in them. I like them. I know that they've got the interests of the club at heart, and I know that they'll kind of give absolutely everything to to to, to get there. But they can't take forever on decisions 
And no, also, football isn't isn't like a science. It's not like you do this, this, and you get success. There's a weird chemistry about who you yeah. put in charge and who you have in the dressing room and who's the manager and who's the coach and who's the owner. It's a, you, know, you can do all the right things, but if the chemistry's not there and you don't get a bit of luck, then it all turns to turns to nonsense. So, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a, there's a, it's, a, it's a big gamble being involved in football, and there's no guarantees that success will come immediately. You've got to move quickly. Chris Amanda Staveley in an opening interview when she bought the club told the, that was Sky Sports I think um, she thinks that Newcastle United can win the Premier League in the next five to ten years do you agree with her? Well she also told George she wasn't going to over promise and uh, oh, that was <laughs> about a few minutes after that so that was, so that was brilliant <laughs> no that was brilliant that was brilliant uh, yeah she so she she she, she said that it was like uh, so she was tired she was quite tired by that point but it was um, she said yes the one thing I'll never do is uh, is over is over promise because I, do, I don't want to under deliver and I was like I was looking at my phone and it was literally coming up on Sky and, and, and all the other sites we are going to try and win the Premier League in five years and the Champions League it's like li- you've literally did I say that? <laughs> the PR man was in the corridor ranting why are they writing that this stupid idiot <laughs> she said it <laughs> so yeah go on so it was your question do I think they can win it in five years? No, I, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think five years is realistic. I, you I think used to be so optimistic before <laughs> I before you came under my wing. <laughs> you were like a happy man. You 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 you, you, you smiled all the time. You were full of. I'm quite proud of you. I'm quite proud of how miserable you are. <laughs> when you mentioned the Wolves game earlier, I was actually it was my brother Stagged. I was I was in York and I, I texted. I saw the final score. And I texted George after the game and I just said, "Oh, how was it?" To which you just replied, "Fuck off, you know how it was." And then they just didn't, <laughs> just didn't engage after that. That was that was all, that was all I got after that. Um, but yes, I mean, in terms of can Newcastle win the Premier League in five? No, I don't. I, I, I don't think five years is realistic just because of the the amount of. Teams who are in and around it at the top. Like, I think. I think if you if you go back to to the sort of Chelsea time when Chelsea were taken over, then there was only really Manchester United and, and Arsenal who were competing. You then fast forward now, the best part of twenty years, and and, and there's there's Chelsea, there's Man City, there's Liverpool, there's Man United, uh, Spurs. You could argue, well, obviously they're not going to win anything. Then Arsenal to, on the periphery, and there's also a few other ambitious clubs who who haven't got it right yet, and and don't have the the wealth and, and potential backing that Newcastle do. But I, I think 10 years is is realistic. I, th- I think that the issue Newcastle have is is that infrastructure. It's not just the fact that you need to, they need to completely restructure the team. The whole club needs to be restructured. They're not ready. They're not ready to win the Premier League. I can't see them being ready in five years. I think the infrastructure will just about be in place, hopefully, in five years' time. But I think it's it's a longer rebuild than that. The, the, the issues of the Mike Ashley era are, are going to be... I mean, you, you mentioned, you mentioned that the, the, the squad issue before in terms of the age of it I mean essentially for the uh, the all of the problems that there were over the first 12 years of the Mike Ashley essentially for the last two years he completely checked out and it wasn't even go beyond it there wasn't actually a strategy previously there was a strategy of signing players under the age of 24 resale yeah. value there was actually an idea there wasn't an idea the last two years of the, it was literally let's just crawl over the line until this takeover happens and the damage that has been done in the 18 months that this takeover was delayed has been significant in that sense and that's just in terms of on the pitch but off the pitch we've had that there hasn't been investment for so long the infrastructure isn't there the academy needs to be sore the training ground all of these different things so I think five years is unrealistic but I think ten years I think they can be challenging regularly within ten years (laughs) (laughs) I think logically you say no, it's Newcastle. They're not going to get there, even with all this money. But then you look at what West Ham are doing now after a couple of clever, after a few clever signings with a good manager who we thought was 
dead and buried after well, Sunderland. No, but, that, but that's, um, a, that's a great point though, about yeah. time, right time, right place. Right time, right place for David Moyes. Yeah, and then you look further back, and Leicester did it with Wes Morgan at centre half at the end yeah. at the end of his career. So, God, I mean, it it, it could happen. It can happen. I, I don't think we say it will, but there's hope. There's hope. Thanks, lads. Time for Charlotte again with those questions. Thank you to everybody who put questions in for this panel. Thank you to you all for being here still. A um, couple of questions. Graham, who's somewhere here, took the uh, liberty of DMing me from just there uh, on Twitter to ask about this one, and we had another question about it as well. So this is about the ground. So St. James's Park, is it big enough? So the question we got um, on paper was, should we relocate or extend no. to... Okay. <laughs> That's a no from George. Um, <laughs> or extend to 70, 80K capacity. Um, do you see... And Graham's question went more specific. Do you see our owners looking at a relocation for St. James's Park for our stadium? Um... I just think that's so far away at the minute. I don't want to sort of... I mean, I think they'll look at everything, but, um, you know, we're talking about a club that 10,000 people walked away from, I mean, quite quite understandably, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so I think the first priority has to be to keep the stadium full um, as it is now and, and, and win a couple of games. I mean, yeah, they'll look at absolutely everything. They're perfectly aware of the situation around Gallagher and Strawberry Place and that kind of scandal. Um, um, but I think we're a way away from that. I, I hope, I mean, I am old. Um, well, I just am old. <laughs> but but I, d I don't, you know, I would hate them to move. I just, I just, you know, it's not the same as Highbury was a wonderful stadium. I love all those old stadiums, but it's the, it's the positioning of Newcastle. It's the positioning of St. James's Park that makes it so unique and special, being right above us now and always being there. But... Um, so I hope they don't. I hope they would never do that. <laughs> just, I just want to pick up on the point about about Strawberry Place and just go back a couple of. Years. I was I was at Manor House, which w was where the council meeting was, was held on the day where eventually it, w it was approved that the planning permission for uh, the buildings, which are now shut up there, have gone in place. And I was there, and I, I was tweeting from the meeting. There was nobody, as far as I'm aware, from the club who was at that meeting. And I, and I came out, and I came. I was meeting. I was actually meeting George in, in town for coffee. And on the way, I got I got delayed because I had someone from the club who basically called. So this is this is to try and demonstrate the damage done by the Mike Ashley Red to basically complain about the fact that I was equating this with with Newcastle United. And they said, well, it's got nothing to do with Newcastle United. And I said, what, what do you mean it's got nothing to do? He said, oh, well, that, that's Mike Ashley. Mike Ashley's, this is Mike Ashley's private sale. It's got to, it's like, but he's, that, that was club, the club owned the lease on that land and then he has then sold it and it is prevent, it potentially in the future prevents the club being able to extend in that way. And that was, that was the issue that you had with with the way that the the club was being run and from the very top from Mike Ashley's decision is that he saw that as being his property that he could do what he wanted with and it was and, and it, would, it was a staggering comfort I remember it vividly I remember walking to the, the centre of Newcastle basically going around in circles this argument on the form I was basically saying how is this not a club issue there was no one from the club it just it was it was staggering but that that was what you had to deal with that. That sums up the 14 years of Mike Ashley for but me. Also, also, also to, to say, you know, it was sort of talking about potential of winning things and stuff like that. But when that, to that question of what do Newcastle fans want, the, which perpetually gets asked by idiots, 
um, in uh, you know, but 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 particularly you know pundits, you know pundits in the media and stuff like that. But of which I know we're connected. But but and you know the answer to that is sort of ask asking Newcastle fans. You might get an answer. But um, I I just sort of thought something that sums up the last fourteen years, but also sums up really what Newcastle fans want when they put in the cranes to wash the windows on the Gallagher end. The Chronicle, the Chronicle did a video of it. The response to it was like, <laughs> Newcastle have just signed Mbappe. It's like, yeah, we've got a fucking club back. We've, we've just washed the windows. And then Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe turns up for work at 6.30 in the morning. And it's, again, it's like the same thing. It's like, oh, we've just won a cup. Because some man turns up to work quite early in the morning. If, if they ever move that fucking pigeon from the Leasers end... Gallagher. Gallagher, sorry. Gallagher. Spoils it. If they ever move... All right, I'll, I'll do that again. <laughs> if they ever move that pigeon from the Gallagher end, there'll be an open top bus. We're, we're not taking orders. We, 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 can't, we can't refloor these, Dan, but we'll, we'll pass it on. This, uh, this one is actually thematic, so... When will the Sports Direct signs be removed? And will there be big Saudi sponsorship deals? That one's signed big by Saudi John. Sponsorship what? Deals. Um, deals, yeah. I yeah, I mean, I asked, I asked, I know there's been a kind of more recent update. I did ask about that on day one, and the, the answer then was short-term and temporary. So, um, and so that's good. But it's not good that they're still there because you know we all have to look at them and um, and they do scar the stadium. Um, I've sort of heard heard more recently that the idea is that once they can get their own deal sorted out, then they can come down. But at the moment, there's obviously the moratorium on those deals happening, so so it can't happen. But short term and te temporary is the is the official answer. I mean, in terms of the big deals we're still waiting to find out and Amanda Staveley's been part of this um, uh, I can't remember what it's called exploratory group within the Premier League trying to find a way trying to find a way forward I mean Newcastle is sort of saying that the deals they have in place wouldn't be outrageous wouldn't be um, you know wouldn't be out of keeping with uh, you know the standard kind of stuff that's being done, but they want to bring in their own money. They want to do their own deals, and that's how you start getting Newcastle kind of competing again. And we talked you talked talk before about the com those commercial, you know, the lack of commercial income to the club. It's an outsourced club, mm. so Ashley's argument was always that oh well, we're not having to we're not having to spend any money, so therefore any money that comes in is profit, but. It's absolutely the opposite way that I think most people would look at it and that I would look at it is that, you know, you invest, you invest to get investment back, whereas his, his idea was to cut back, cut back, cut back, so that what you were left with was always profit, but eventually there's no, there's no cutting left to do. And if the Premier League start to try and block Newcastle sponsorship deals and they have the ambition to be the biggest club in the world or one of the biggest clubs in the world and therefore they want to charge them, sponsorship deals, whether it be with Saudi Arabian companies that they're associated with, then that's absolutely wrong. They shouldn't be allowed to do that. Newcastle should be allowed to get sponsorship money from where they want, like Manchester have and like other clubs yeah. have, and they can't close the door after it's bolted. <laughs> it's jealous. There's, there's a lot of jealousy out there amongst the elite, uh, and they want to they throw as many obstacles in the way of Newcastle progressing as they can, I think. And that's wrong. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think so. A little applause.
Um, given NUFC's newly minted status, is the Northeast rivalry with Sunderland dead? <laughs> I went to the Sunderland Cup game the other week against against Burton. How did that they, go? They, they enjoyed the the trip to Burton, um, and they opened. Uh, they did up. They opened one stand, and they had about nine thousand. It was a really sad sight. I mean, we've covered we've covered Sunderland impartially. Um, for, for when they're in the, in the in the Premier League and when it was an absolutely rocking place and it was like probably noisier than St James's for a, for a while when it, when when I I'm sorry I'm sorry uh, not not now rest assured um, there was only about six thousand there so uh, it, it, I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to see them get a cup draw against Newcastle although they're out the cup again aren't they so the the sad thing about that question is that really that for the last in the Premier League era or the, you know, the more recent part of the Premier League era is that there's been this kind of rivalry when they played each other and it's, you know, those days are, Christ, you can feel the atmosphere change, you can feel the toxicity, you can feel all that in the air. It's, you know, it's that sort of horrible sickness you feel in the pit of your stomach. But the two clubs have been dra dragging each other down. I mean, that's been the... It's been about who is the least shit is, has, <laughs> has been, has, you know. And... Sunderland, Sunderland are an absolutely fantastic football club. I don't care what people th think about me saying that. The two clubs should be pulling each other up. Yeah. And when that happens, when that happens, you know, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. No, no. Um, the two clubs should be pulling each other up. And that's, you know, that's what, you know, I want to see Sunderland and Newcastle at the top of the division like the two Manchester clubs are. You know, that's what I want to see because that'll be good for all of us. <laughs> I'd agree with George. I don't think it's the end of the rivalry. I think I think it's a rivalry changed. I think particularly if and when Newcastle are successful, I think it's it's a rivalry that changes. But I just, I mean, we were all at at, at the stadium of like, was it the start of 2018 when there was that absolutely bizarre, uh, whatever the pizza oh, competition is yeah. called, where it was it was it was Newcastle's Newcastle's the under Papa 21. John Trophy. Ones. They yeah. won it. Well, yeah, they suddenly went on and won it. A big, 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 uh, big win for them. Um, but the, but the, 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 the but uh, when Newcastle's under twenty ones, but and it, there was, there was, there was like a few thousand Newcastle fans there. And there was several, and it, it, you still felt that intense. And it was, it was partly because it was novel. I understand that, but it was also, I don't think that that completely goes away. I think that that regional rivalry is going to remain. I just think it, it will be changed, particularly if Newcastle. It's, it's just a rivalry with Newcastle's under-23 team now. <laughs> exactly. yeah. right? The thing about that game, it wasn't, it wasn't a first-team fixture for Newcastle. No, but it, was for Sunderland. but it was for Sunderland. Because yeah. 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 I remember the, the, in the Sunderland programme, or whatever the programme was that day, they sort of had that debate as to whether it counted as an official game because of, because yeah. of that reason. Oh, shit. Just to add balance to your lovely answers, I hope we'll never play them again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just a couple more, and then you can all enjoy the rest of your nights. Um, all the press, all the press, seem to be saying there's only 50 million, only, only 50 million, to spend in January. What is that based on, and why? Joe um, Linden. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I th I've, 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 that's that's kind of the sort of figure I've been told, 40, 50 million quid. But I mean, that's of that's of that's from a few few weeks ago. Who knows if that will change, depending on that on the on the league position when we get get to January. Um, I think it's very. I mean, I've sort of tried to say this from the start. I think it's important we all get our heads around this. Uh, 
and I'm not taking this into the kind of a, a, a conversation about human rights and sports washing and stuff like this, whenever I've asked about Saudi Arabia, the answer that's always come back to me is that this is an investment for them. You know, they want, this is about them diversing away, diversifying away from oil. They want to make money eventually, and hopefully that's, you know, the only way they're going to make money is if Newcastle is a successful, thriving club, winning the Champions League every season and <laughs> never playing someone again, whatever. But, um, but they want to make money, and th there are restrictions on financial fair play, but I think there's also that reflect the, the restriction of just being sensible. So, um, you know, it's, no it's not about throwing money at it uh, willy-nilly. They want to do it sensibly. As I say, that might change um, depending on circumstances, but, you know, that's from direct conversations with with people around the club. And I also, I mean, by the way, I also don't necessarily think that's a bad idea. I mean, if Newcastle are 10 points adrift by January, I'm not sure anything will save them. If Newcastle are, if Newcastle are in and amongst it, what they need to do is they need to find a way to grow organically. And so they can't change the whole team in one go. That's impossible. So they have to find a way to make the, this squad work for them and to grow with it. I'm quite excited about that anyway because... Um, I'd like to see how these players can do with better players around them. I love the spirit that's been at the club since relegation. I do think that there is a proper good group core of players who are decent lads, decent people. And I think that's the way they want to grow. And that's the way it has to be. They, they can't do anything else. Great. Uh, next question might not be, I don't want to be rude, but it might not be one for Chris. How does this feel in comparison to 92-93 season? <laughs> uh, no offence taken. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure who you're being rude to with that. Are we getting ahead of ourselves here, or is it comparable? I don't think anything will compare with that. I think that was such an amazing comeback, survival, then bounce up again and again. That, that, that those, day, those days will be completely magical to people of my age. And George's, <laughs> not Chris's. Um, and and I, don't, I, I don't think they'll be replaced. I, I actually don't think the, even though they didn't win anything, I don't think the magic of the entertainers era will be, will be replaced either. That, that was all new to us then. Um, yeah, so... We were, very, we, were, we were young, we were naive. <laughs> you know, yeah. we needed the money. No, that's <laughs> a different... Um, <laughs> um, but, I'd, you know, 92, 93, I'd come back from college and, you know, just that sense of a city inflamed you know it was just incredible getting to getting to st james's park you had to get there two hours before kickoff or 90 minutes before kickoff just to get in and you know it was a magical magical feeling married to the fact that the football was magical and just that feeling that anything was possible i don't think it's quite the same yet because um it's different circumstances this has happened mid-season and um you know, I don't think Eddie Howe is Kevin Keegan. I don't yeah, think there's not the talisman there. There's and not the, the, yeah, the yeah, personal... Yeah, talisman. you know, the whole, that whole drama of that, of Keegan coming back. Um, you know, 92-93 will always be my favourite season. 93-94, a close second, because, you know, he, he was able to say, tell Alex Ferguson we're coming after him, and, and they did. <coughs> that said, for this generation, as you... You know, there's, there's a lost generation at Newcastle yeah. because people have found other things to do. If you take your kid to watch Newcastle in the Mike Ashley era, would you ever come back? You know, would they ever want to come back? And I think the fact now you've got aspiration and you've got someone at the top saying, we can win something, 
we can try, we can compete, is very, very compelling. Let's hope it goes one better. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. We have still got good questions, but I'm mindful of time. I don't want to keep everybody, but, uh, but we'll keep them for next time or we'll ask them on a podcast or something like that. I'll hand you back to Alex. Thank you all very much. Thank you all very much. More applause for our panelists. Could we also get a round of applause for Charlotte? Fantastic job. Not much more to say from me. Thank you all for coming. You've all done a great deed. You've raised three grand for a fantastic charity in the heart of our city. You all deserve a round of applause. Well done. And to the six guys who've given up their time free of charge, of course, to come and talk to you about Newcastle United. Thank you. You've been great. Thanks for coming. Speak to you all soon. Bye-bye. Free of charge. <laughs> Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.